this specific kosha focuses on the wisdom, intellect, intuition, and how they relate. Hi, I'm Teresa, and welcome to the podcast that explores the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I'm Sherry, and our aim is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories of living in a body. And each week, Sherry and I pick a different topic and have a casual conversation. This is Anecdotal Anatomy. One of the things I love so much, Teresa, is that last week, we could have continued talking about play without stopping. I mean, we could still be talking about play. And if you're watching, you can see we didn't do a costume change. <laughs> We're recording the following weeks, the sit right after this one. So play is still very prevalent in our mind. So if it should leak into wisdom that we're talking about today, Vignana Maya Kosha, then so be it. Play does lead to wisdom. And, you know, just to hold on to the playfulness, I have to practice doing that. So before we came on, Sherry was um, showing me different ways of getting the Vignana Maya Kosha. Vignana Maya Kosha. I always miss the yeah. It's like from the Howard Stern's thing, but it goes, WNBC, WSNBC. No, no, WNBC. So I can also get to the Vignana. My tongue has such a hard time. It's hard. Vignana. Vignana. Yes. If I think about it, I do it. But if I just say Vigyana Maya Kosha, it's going to come out that way. If I pause and think, then it's going to come out Vigyana Maya Kosha. Yes, and I still, yes, yes, yes I can. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, WNBC, for the free plug, by the way. And Howard Stern, always. So, what is Vigyana Maya Kosha? So, we're talking about wisdom and intuition and intelligence. And wrapping them all up into a nice little bow of a conversation. And on the heels of play, I have two things to offer to start the, the wheels rolling. One is I've heard comedians say that tragedy plus time equals comedy. And in the mm. same vein, and it's true, is it too soon? I don't know. That this is by a guy named Tony Gaskins. He says, you know that you've changed when, one, when what once made you mad now makes you laugh. And I thought that was brilliant because, you know, I've just gone through with one of my kids, like a, an experience that was really hard in the beginning. And over this year, it has become lighter and lighter and lighter. And there was a moment in the beginning where she could not for anything see the wisdom of this experience. And it, I would have been an asshole if I said, and I was an asshole many times to her during this time. And I apologize for that, all in service of, of a teaching moment which, you know, maybe I should learn to, they say, pick and choose your battles. I should pick and choose the teaching moments too. But I learned that too. Anyway, when I look at where she is today, different from where she was 10 months ago, I am amazed at this process because this, I, I could not see that we would be here today. Growth and wisdom have arisen out of a space of sadness and grief. And like you said, knowing when to pick the moment. Sometimes for me and also listening to other people, I found myself when they're telling me about something that's going on in their life or trouble or whatever it is, that I start to have that teaching moment or give that advice when really all I and sometimes they 
want is somebody to say something really simple, like, I'm really sorry you're going through that, and to hold the safe space. And that's a lesson that I have to learn over and over and over again. And there's a wisdom to being able to formulate the right response when people are speaking about something that's really personal to them. I think that is everything that we're going to talk about in that nutshell. You know, I had a friend person, you know, a friend say years a while ago that the worst thing you could say to someone when they're in pain is that everything happens for a reason. I don't think you can say any blanket statement like that across the board. I thought about it for a while because I am someone predisposed to thinking that everything I experience is in service of my own growth. And that includes lessons and why is this happening? And it's not a woe is me. I don't victimize myself, but I kind of try to look and see what is the wisdom of this experience? And often you can't get there immediately. It takes time and perspective to get there. But what I came to that was that when someone's in acute pain and it's not their predisposition, then timing is everything. Maybe five years later, after the fact, you're saying, what, what did you learn from that? Like, or was there a lesson there? There's a way to kind of frame that. But for some people, it's a generous thing to say and it's helpful to say. So the wisdom from, from my end is reading the room. That's, that's been my TED talk for years in my own head is, you know, when you can read the room, it's a spiritual guide to being human because you're being present with the person, the experience that is happening in that moment. And it's not based on any past or future idea of what someone may or may, it's again, after the because, you know, and we're not always privy to what might be the best thing for that person in that moment. So we do the best we can. And if we misspeak, if we say too much or say too little or don't say anything at all, and it happens not to be the right thing, the wisdom there is to be there and to listen to the feedback if there's any. And if there's not, to kind of feel the energy, the prana, pranamaya kosha of the room, you know, tap into that. And if it's uncomfortable, maybe ask the question, I'm sorry, did I say too much? Was that wrong? like, I'm, I just want to be here for you. What's the best way I can be here for you? How can I be of service? I love that question. Like, what's the best way that I can be here for you? And they may not always know. They might not know. Yeah. And it might be, I don't even know what I need because in an acute situation, I often don't know what I need. But when I get the wrong thing, I can, I know that, you know, when somebody starts telling me what to do, or you should do this or do it that way, you kind of know, like, yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. So I don't always know what it is I need. I think there's the wisdom of being able, and this is not something that's my highest skill, is to have the wisdom to say, I just need time to process. Or the reminder to myself when somebody else is sharing something with me that might be tender for them, that a good part of communication is just listening. Just giving them the space to say what needs to be said, to get it off their chest and kind of the exercise that we did at camp, right? To be able to listen without the nodding of the head and give me more, but to just create the space to let somebody process. And I found for myself that I often process much better when I have to, when I'm verbalizing than I am if I'm sitting by myself. And so I think that's where I really fall into that place needing to be reminded, which I was this week, that sometimes you just have to say, I'm sorry that you're going through that. Or I love what you said. How can I be here for you? What is it that I can do to help? To ask the question, and maybe they do or don't know. And then sometimes maybe it's just a hug or 
or and, the and safe space. A, and that's a great segue for that. You can even say, not even ask, you say, look, I don't even know how to be here for you. Are you do you want a hug? Can I give you a hug? You know, that kind of thing. Because then you don't put the pressure on them to have to figure out, how can you be here for me? You know, like, yes, just hug me. And I've noticed, you know, in the deliberate deep listening exercises, I find it very useful. In the real world, when someone is just blank face listening, it's uncomfortable for me because I don't know if they're listening. I don't know if they're actually taking it in or if there's just the response is actually a gift. It's helpful. It keeps the continuum of energy. You know, I think I may have said this. It's it's similar to me as when an actor on stage, like when I saw Mandy Patinkin, who I fucking love more than anything, and he sat on the corner of the stage with his eyes closed the whole time. There was no way in. I didn't, I didn't feel the connection. And the same can be with a blank stare, even if it's filled with love and it's, but it's not responsive. It feels like, I, am I reaching you? Is there a way in? So like, again, it's reading the room and if you're in a situation where you can actually verbalize to the person you're with, you know, this isn't working for me. <laughs> can we do another way? Can, or this is great. Thank you so much for, for being here with me. Yeah. And as we step into this kosha, you know, if, um, which kosha? Vignana, <laughs> Vignana Maya kosha. The Vignana Maya kosha. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> I know that we probably had a very similar conversation on episode four when we first started and we talked about this the very first time in the podcast, but we've been moving, I'm going to say up or in or out in the kosher sheaths, right? Because we've decided that although they are often depicted in imagery in layers, there isn't one specific order that they're inseparable in many ways, but this specific kosha focuses on, is composed of, or focuses on the wisdom, intellect, intuition. I love, I love when we get to talk about instincts, intuition, and how they relate to wisdom. And that's what we get to do now. I think it would be a really cool writing exercise, and I may or may not do this. So in in the spirit of Misha Collins creating the Gish experience, the greatest international scavenger the world has ever seen, having his fans do the work. If this sounds like something interesting to you, not that you're our fan, but go for it. But to write a story using each of the koshas and in different orders, because I love the order that, that they present themselves. It feels right to me to like start with the body, the physical, tangible experience. And then to kind of go a little bit more subtle, but it's still in the gross body, this idea of energy and breath. And then we get more into the subtle body, into the, you know, sort of, you know, thoughts and emotions and the wisdom and the intellect and the intuition and all of that, which is great, which each one seems to feed the next. And then the ultimate experience of being in bliss when that's all in balance. But I think you could tell that story in any, like starting from the subtle body, from my thoughts and emotions, because we started last week with mindset. Maybe the mindset is what starts, the, is the once upon a time of this story. And then we move into how the thoughts create, generate sort of an emotional experience that creates an energy that goes to pranamaya that maybe we find some wisdom that ends up healing the body. You know, like, so there are many different ways we can tell the story. And then maybe as an ultimate sort of, uh, epilogue to the story, start with bliss. You know, what is it when you start from a place of balanced 
energies and your bliss factor is is tantamount. But I do, I think that there is an argument to be made or a story to be told in any different thing, especially if you're dealing with an issue, if you're dealing with something, then finding out and discovering what layer the origin story is so that healing can take place from the source. And then you might be able to see it fan out into the other koshas as well. But I think that's where some of the value is in not seeing it as a linear expression of Anamaya through Anandamaya. But I also think that there's logic to the order. Yeah, we did talk a lot last week about mindset. And now we're moving on to something like wisdom. And so I like to think of the wisdom that I gain through the mindset that of my mindset work and my mindset practices. And over the time that we have been recording these 80 seven episodes. This is 87. There's been a lot of changes in my life. And sometimes my mindset was one of frustration. I went through some health challenges. So my mindset was one of fear or go all the way back to the beginning. Fudex, my mindset was wrapped around the amount of pain, both physical, emotional, of my skin peeling off, the fear of what it was going to look like when I was doing that. So lots of things have happened in mindset. And one of the really positive things that I took out of this deep dive that you and I have done through the koshas, because we started with them, we're ending with them, but they have sprinkled themselves into every single episode that we've done in one way or another, either extremely out in the open or subtly in the background. And I really have learned to notice my mindset in a much different way than I think I did before and recognize that the story that's going on repeat in my brain can be one of frustration or one of joy. It can be one of, oh my gosh, I got so much to do. I can't believe I got to move again. And I've got to pack up all this stuff and where am I going? And I can tell this story about all the work that there was to do. Or I learned to say, wow, I wonder what this new place is going to be like. And honestly, I fluctuate between the two. I'm not trying to say, hey, now that I've done this work, I can always stay in this really uplifting and positive mindset. And we fluctuate among the the five koshas and the chakras and all the subtle body anatomies that kind of you know, weave in and out of the story that they tell and that they allow us a little glimpse inside. But when you talked about the patterns and the wisdom of kind of recognition, it brings up again for me this thing that has been catching my attention a lot the last few months, and that's the awareness of awareness. And it has been showing up in a tangible way in my life on a fairly daily basis, just even planting the seed of the awareness of awareness when I find myself in a pattern of not always destructive behavior, but maybe less than highest frequency behaviors, which I did yesterday. I was a little petty yesterday a few times. And I woke up thinking if I, if I was drinking, I would be blaming it on the alcohol. And I'm not a big drinker. If I have a couple of drinks a month, it's, it's a thing. But, but it would be something I would blame on the alcohol, but I have nothing to blame except for my own inability in the moment to have that secondary level of awareness. because. I notice now more often it coming in when I'm in these groups in a pattern of reaction 
you know, being being in a long-term relationship is challenging on a good day, you know, but I'm in one and I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way, except that sometimes I have to recognize when I am in a, an unproductive response pattern and that secondary level of awareness comes in and says, look what you're doing. You're doing it again. It's not a judgment. It's just an awareness that it's happening and it gives me a choice. Wisdom gives us a choice. If we don't have the wisdom, we are stuck in that sort of merry-go-round or the treadmill or whatever metaphor you want to use for the hamster wheel, whatever. But this, when it comes in and I can say, ah, I have a choice. And, and I've been taking it. I've been taking the challenge and saying, well, how can I respond in a different way that can repattern this? And I'm telling, it has had an extremely positive effect on my relationships, not just my long-term spousal relationship, but the relationships in my life with my children, with my friends, with living with my dogs. It's really, it's, the cats, they're still peeing and pooping on everything and I'm having a hard time getting over that. But other than that, I, I just feel like this is a gift. And if we can begin to share this, you know, practices that help to cultivate this awareness of awareness, we can grow, we can grow. The things that made us mad can make us laugh. Mm. I like that awareness of awareness because I know that you practice mindfulness massage. Yeah. I very mindfully. Maybe, maybe you receive my <laughs> massage minds. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Uh, the, I, I was stuck in the M's, right? So I got the <laughs> mindfulness massage instead of mindfulness meditation. I've also been taught in my meditation classes to begin by focusing on the breath and focusing on the thoughts, watching when we come away from the breath and notice that we're thinking. And as you teach, label that thinking from your lineage and then come back to the breath. And so the question becomes, well, what's the purpose? Like, and does it have to have a purpose? No, it doesn't. But what, what, why, purpose? what the purpose of what? Purpose of the, me the meditation okay. itself. So what's the purpose? And is there a medit? Why are we watching our breath? Why are we watching our thoughts? Like, what am I going to gain from this? And I think what you just said right there is such a beautiful answer to a question that I've been asked. The awareness of awareness. And it starts with something internal, interoceptive, watching our own breath, watching our thoughts, that previous kosha, manamaya kosha, watching those thoughts, watching if those thoughts evoke an emotion. And can we step away from them and come back to the breath, the awareness that we've drifted from our breath? And what I heard you just say was such a, a beautiful, a beautiful, I don't even know what the word is. I don't want to use outcome, but outcome is the only word that's coming to me. And it's not a great word for what I'm trying to say, is that the awareness of the awareness has to begin somewhere. And this goes back to us throughout all of this time, talking about practices, why we use certain practices, what practices we um, embody for ourselves, what practices we've shared in classes with others. And awareness that we're aware gives us that change, that ability to make the choice to either move ahead with whatever it was we were about to do in that pattern or choose to show up differently to change the pattern because we saw the trigger, we felt the emotion arising. We, you know, I always notice like when I feel it, I, I like to think for myself that every emotion has a breath pattern. So when the breath pattern changes from one of, hey, I'm just listening to this 
person talk or I'm in this conversation and then my breath starts to change and I feel myself getting agitated. The awareness of the awareness practice allows what exactly what you just said for us to have the wisdom to decide which way am I going to move forward here? And I think it's funny that you brought up mindfulness meditation as the thing, because I was thinking about that also in terms of which kosha would be dominant for meditation. It's easy for me to land on Manamaya because it's working with thoughts. It's working, you know, but I think that it is every kosha. And when you talk about a takeaway or an outcome results, like why do we meditate? You know, a lot of people come to meditation to reduce their stress. A lot of people and but what does that mean? Like all of the things that we may come to it for may also be cultivating this part of our brains, part of our breath, part of our spirit, all of it sort of yoking it together. It's yoga, you know, it's just, it's a part of yoga. But I think it's, they say that, in, no, they say whoever they are, ah, early on, you know, there weren't many asanas. And when asanas, the physical practice came into yoga, it was designed, and you know, again, this is anecdotal. I've just been hearing this over the years to help alleviate the afflictions of the body so that they don't become the distractions of the mind. So if you're sitting in meditation, your hip is hurting or your back is tight or something is happening that's taking you out, that becomes your discursive thought. And you have to keep coming back from the discomfort because yes, even your discomfort is a, is a thinking because it's got a narrative to it, ouch is enough to bring it back to thinking that I think that we we do our work so that we can get our bodies. Like sitting in meditation is hard on the body. I will say at this point, I don't have afflictions of my body when I'm sitting on my cushion. I, if I have to switch my legs, if I'm sitting for a really long time, I'll do it mindfully. It doesn't take me out of it, but I can sit for 20 minutes fairly still and not feel afflictions in my body right now. And I'm very grateful for that. But if I were feeling pain, that could bring in a different energy pattern or breath pattern in my in my body. So that affects pranamaya kosha. It affects my energy. If I'm feeling it's even if I'm feeling great and I'm not having any of that, that impacts my energy. That impacts my thoughts. So all of it impacts that. And then we get to the manamaya where by thinking, my mind, all of the emotions that each one kind of sitting in this meditation, they're going to come up. I label my thought thinking, I come back to the breath. If it's I'm feeling happy and I recognize the awareness, secondary awareness is, oh, you're happy, thinking, come back, keep thinking, come back. But that also creates a relationship with secondary awareness. It says, oh, I'm aware that I've wandered. I'm aware of that awareness. And so now I get to come back. So we're cultivating that skill. Like you said, is it, by the time we get to Vijnana Mayakosha, the skills are beginning to develop, They're, especially if there's continuity and consistency with the practice. So here we are. Now we have the wisdom of all of the things that have come before and we can sit with it and we can learn and we can just be. And then, of course, you know, Ananda Maya, which is next week, is bliss. But you can see how they all kind of feed each other. Feed me. I think I said that last week with play. My dad and my brother playing Jin Rummy 500. Feed me. They all feed into each other. So meditation, if you're going to practice anything, I would just say go for it. Our wholeness is so intertwined, interconnected, woven together, yoke. All of those things are hard to separate. And I think that is in a, in, a, in a society now where a lot of things tend to be broken down to their least common to their common denominator, or we pigeonhole like our healthcare. I'm grateful if I need a uh, 
a surgical procedure or something has to happen that I have somebody who specializes in it and does it all day long, every day, and isn't it is an expert in that field. But it's very it's a very reductionist view. And that's one of the things that I love about using the koshas, the chakras, yoga, all of these things that are more holistic practices, is that we try and talk about them in a reductionist way. But it's impossible because we as humans are so integrated that our thoughts and our mind, our emotions, our body, our breath, they all have a story to tell. And the story is kind of intertwined. How did we get to a place where we can say we have intellect and wisdom if we haven't felt it in our body in some way from a movement practice, a job? Things that we do, I mean, I'm a hands-on therapist, so I've gained much, much, much more wisdom from my clients and being able to have the honor of being invited to touch them than any of them have received from me in discomfort. I can't speak for them. I don't know what they've done, but I do know how much I have gained in understanding the interdependence of each and every part our physical being from our actual physical body all the way through and whether i'm talking koshas koshas or chakras or eight limbs all of it comes back to the same thing this intertwined being that is benefiting from so many different lenses to look at and to decide where do I need to be focusing attention? Um, and sometimes for me, honestly, it's as simple as feeling ungrounded and putting on my red shirt that day, just so that every time I see me, myself, I was like, oh yeah, red, that's the root chakra. It's a big mind fuck, isn't it? All the different ways that we can look at these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but what I've learned over the years, and maybe this is wisdom that I am talking about, is that sometimes the specifics of how these little nuances can change. Is the root chakra red or is it not? Are there seven or are there nine? Is Or five. That, oh, sorry? Or five. Or five, yes. <laughs> Which way are we going to go? Or more, you know. It's, yeah. yeah. But... If I can let go of, well, this, this lineage says that there's seven and this lineage just says that there's five and I can come into the conceptual embodiment, getting to know myself through all of these different patterns, all of these different models. I don't, I'm not a purist that I say, well, this is my model. I love them all because they give so many different ways for me personally to understand this vessel. And this soul and this being that I call yeah. me from different ways of viewing it. And sometimes the more I look at the different lineages, the more they feel the same and intertwine. Yes. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm a buffet girl. I've never been a guru girl. I don't want just one voice in my head. At the same time, all of the different lineages and all of the different ways of into these practices becomes overwhelming for me. I prefer to just focus on one, stay in one boat for a while and see how it feels. 
because ultimately it's the direct experience that's going to provide the wisdom, not the funneling down of information from teacher to teacher to teacher, student, teacher, student, all the way down. Yes, that's academic and we can have all that information, but why do we want, you talked about why do we meditate? What would be the outcomes? If I have certain outcomes that I'm looking for through my practices, I want to be able to determine which ones are going to provide that most optimally for me. And all of them are not going to do that. But in order to just to decide to have that choice, I, Pema Chodron says, you know, stay in one boat for a while. And I've been in this mindfulness meditation boat for almost 25 years. So I'm kind of feeling like, yes, I've done yoga nidra. I've done guided meditations. I've done Tonglen. I've done, you know, my tree meditations. I've done a lot of the meditations, but my daily consistent practice is mindfulness meditation. I would be lying if I didn't, if I said that I didn't think that transcendental meditation was alluring to me. I'm very tantalized by transcendental meditation, but I haven't, I haven't made the commitment to that yet. And I'm not sure I want to start paying money to do a practice that, you know, they say is to keep you on your cushion. I'm already on my cushion. I don't need the discipline. I already have the discipline. Um, but all of this started because, oh, because how many and how much, how big this can feel. And so if you are following one lineage and you've been there for a long time and it's working for you, awesome. Like what would be the impetus for you to go out and search other than curiosity? And that might be enough. And if you're someone who's academic and wants to like learn all about it and look at the family trees and see how historically and philosophically they do intertwine, that's really cool too. Comparative literature in that way, I'm all for. It's too big for me. My mind doesn't work that way. Although I'm impressed as hell by people who can and will read anything that you actually come to in the end. You do the work. I tried to do a Hindu deity family tree and it's fucking impossible. But all of this, it embraces a certain amount of humility. It, it says, okay, I'm one person. There's only so much I can do. How can I you know, foster these energies that will best express my mission, who I want to be in this world, how I want to show up. And, you know, yeah, for a while I did a little Qigong and I was loving it, but then I lost momentum. Like there's, so, but why did I lose momentum? It wasn't necessarily serving me at my highest level at that time, but it planted a seed for like all the books I have on my shelves. I probably read about a third of the books that I have, maybe a little more, maybe close to closer to half, maybe, but I have them there for the time that I'm ready for them. And I love, because I'll get a book knowing that I'll want to read this one day. I'll want this. This is information I want and I love to read. So this is my collection and, and I've been doing it. I go back and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read a fiction this, or I want to read a spiritual that, or I'm going to, all this Huxley today. Okay, I'll do that. But so that's also with practices. It's like we have the library of them. We know that they're there, but we can't read them all at once. We can't practice them all at once. Um, that would be um, a, a feat that would be the opposite, I think, of wisdom. Um, or maybe somewhere in the field of, of the shadow part. So all of this intelligence of studying different lineages, studying different practices, the rational intelligence, we've talked about this earlier on, for me falls into my masculine energy. I look for how does all this fit together? What's the intelligence? And then the intuitive process, which I look at more as my feminine energy, kind of links it all together for me into a way that I can take this amount of intelligence and embody it 
and let it become a contributor to some sort of intuitive process. So my left and right brain, my masculine and feminine, whatever we want to talk about it, combining the two and many other things feels like a pathway to wisdom. And I do, I like to study a lot of things. There's things that I really gravitate to, like yin yoga is one of them. That's something that I immediately connected with and will have as part of my life and part of my practice ongoing. Being out in nature is another thing that I intuitively connect with and learn so much wisdom from being out and seeing what the more than human and natural world has to offer us. You know, you, you mentioned like going through different lineages, going through different learning, learning times in our life. And I remember telling one of my teachers, I was like, I keep trying to get from here to there and I never seem to make it. And I'm working, I'm studying, I'm doing this, but I just can't get there. And the answer that the teacher gave me was, that's because you're looking at your journey as a straight line. And maybe it's just a zigzag life filled with tons of switchbacks that you have to go through. And on those switchbacks, some of the things that you learned, like yin, for instance, you're going to practice forever. You love it. You're attached to it. It feels great in your body. It just really serves all of my layers to spend that time dedicated to my body being in a shape that gave me time to observe my breath, my thoughts, my emotions. And others kind of go off to the wayside, not because they were unimportant, but because they were the next step I needed to get to the place of the thing I was going to do next. For instance, massage leading me to be a fascial fitness trainer. I don't really use my fascial fitness training to train people how to use their body, but the volumes of information that I learned in that training have influenced my teaching of both massage techniques, yoga classes, in such a profound way have they added to the intelligence I learned, the science. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. But because I learned fascia, it, it really enhanced my intuitive process, the softer sciences. So yeah, it's all a journey of how do we get from here to there? What do we acquire along the way? And how does it contribute to this particular layer of gaining wisdom? Um, aside from the fact that I'm 64 and, you know, Maybe as you age, it's implied that you gained wisdom. But implied, I, think, I think. Implied, yeah, I think it doesn't. Yes. Not, a, not a given. I'm going to read a little story. It's a short story. It's one of my favorites. And I've heard it in different versions. And I just quickly Googled a version of it. There are many different versions out there. And it's a story that I have resonated with over the years, having seen myself in it on both sides as both the teacher and the student. And so it's not, I'll read it to you and you can, where are you today? Not you, Teresa, but you listeners, where are you today on this journey? Especially if you're a seeker, someone who wants to, you know, take the, the fruit of every tree. So once, once a long time ago, there was a wise Zen master. People from far and near would seek his counsel and ask for his wisdom. Many would come and ask him to teach them, enlighten them in the way of Zen. 
he seldom turned any away. One day, an important man, a man used to command and obedience, came to visit the master. I have come today to ask you to teach me about Zen. Open my mind to enlightenment. The tone of the important man's voice was one used to getting his own way. The Zen master smiled and said that they should discuss the matter over a cup of tea. When the tea was served, the master poured his visitor a cup. He poured and poured, and the tea rose to the rim and began to spill over the table and finally onto the robes of the wealthy man. Finally, the visitor shouted, Enough! You're spilling the tea all over! Can't you see the cup is full? And that, that to me is wisdom. You know, we can't fill a cup that's already overflowing. You know, if we're already sort of, you know, saturated with stuff, we need the time to process. We need the time to have direct experience, to be able to, you know, recognize where these puzzle pieces fit into this great jigsaw puzzle. And I know I've said it. I think of a jigsaw puzzle as, you know, we get the picture, it's done. And that big whole picture is one piece in a bigger picture. And when that bigger piece is done, that's just one piece in a bigger picture. Though I have to say, I saw a great solo man, a one-man show called Just For Us on Broadway a couple of weeks ago. A brilliant, it's a short run, it's going to be done soon, called Just For Us by Alex Edelman. And he also used a jigsaw puzzle as a metaphor for life. And I was like, holy shit, this is great. Like, how is, but it was different. And I liked his version too. He said, even if you have a, jigs if a jigsaw puzzle of 12,000 pieces or 10 pieces, you need every single piece to make the picture whole. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was also brilliant. So also brilliant as if I think I'm brilliant, but I thought I love the jigsaw puzzle thing. But this idea, I have been the student who was like, more, more, more. Keep, I, what's my next training? What's the next book I'm doing? What's the next, I mean, like grasping for the next thing because I couldn't get enough. And what I didn't realize because I didn't have the wisdom then was that I had more than enough I needed to let all of that, that information seep in, process, and then be peed or shat out before I could actually go back and seek more. Because when more is the mantra, that I think also feeds into a scarcity mentality. It's never enough. And so when is enough enough? That's also wisdom. That's also wisdom. And so one of the things that I read, and it's been a while, so I can't really quote it or tell you where it came from. It's just acquired knowledge, a little bit of wisdom right there. And what it was, it goes something like this. Wisdom is the ability to perceive the unintended consequences of both actions and inactions. So it was in reference to not making a choice is also making a choice and that just because you're not saying this is my action and inaction also has a consequence to it. And that wisdom is, or a definition of wisdom is to be able to recognize that there is a consequence to both. So the consequence to the Zen master not pouring, not stopping, right? He did not stop his action was that it spilled all over the place because the cup was already full. Or he could have had an action and stopped and maybe he would have had a different lesson for the gentleman who came to him for his wisdom about Zen. So this recognizing that wisdom has so many different ways of looking at it and it's not always about what we do. Sometimes it's about what we choose not to do. That also choose is not a to big do. Right? Yes. Cho 
if you are in a place where you don't even know you have a choice. Mm. That's the habitual groove. That's the pattern that needs to be interrupted. So the, my reaction, and you know, there was a time a long time ago, and I know my sister who listens to this, I love you so much, but I am going to tell this story that several years ago, I thought I had evolved to a point, gained a certain amount of wisdom in my responses to, to old triggers. And I'm on the phone. And let me say now, like there is none of this today. This was many years ago, but the lesson still lives in me. When I was feeling like I'd surrounded myself with people who I guess you weren't yesing me, but we all kind of were in agreement. And something came up and it was a past trigger. And I think she hung up on me. And so I called her back and I said, thank you for, te for reminding me I have a lot more to learn. And so it wasn't blaming her. It was taking culpability for my own habitual reactions to this old trigger, which I don't even remember what it was. Um, but this, she has been one of my best teachers my entire life. And so, and she is one of my favorite people on this planet. But I just, to say that it takes someone like that, who I, who's, whose love and trust, or, or whose love and respect I trust enough to go down those darker paths, knowing that we will come back together. But there was a lot of learning that day, but the wisdom didn't come immediately. I mean, I had the, the flash of wisdom that said, I still have a lot to learn, but the wisdom was, you know, in action is in the learning. Because yeah. um, I, didn't, I didn't learn it that day. I still was being triggered. So I didn't have that secondary level of awareness. Yeah, the learning is continuous and the wisdom comes in. You always say, you know, time is not linear. I think wisdom is not linear either. You can be very wise in some some aspects, I can be extremely wise in others. I have a lot left to learn. And there, just that statement that you said, I have a lot left to learn, is wisdom in itself. You know, and I, I would say- Know what you I, don't know. Know what you don't know is a wise person. You know, it's not, it's not intellect, it's wisdom, which does have intellect as one of its pillars, but it also has thinking and feeling. I, I often think about, Vignana Mayakosha, Vignana Mayakosha. <laughs> got it. Mm. WN, Macy. Mm. <laughs> I'm oh, going to do that forever now. <laughs> Vignana Mayakosha will forever be intertwined with WN, Macy. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm thinking of it, you know, and I want to think the difference, what is the difference between the intuitive process that leads to wisdom versus the intelligent, right? There's a little bit of both of them and they have to merge into something that has a wise ending. There's a touch of intelligence, a touch of intuition. And I can say that over the years, because I actively pursued focusing on my intuition, listening to the little voice inside, it has served me well because I used to think back and say, okay, am I saying this is what I think or this is what I feel? And it became one of those delineations in my mind was, am I using my masculine energy or my feminine energy? Am I using my intelligence or my emotions and my intuition? And Everything is a blending. There's not one that's right or one that's wrong, but tapping into the intuitive process began with me saying, 
well, this is what I really think about that. And I did, I was very justified into a masculine thinking brain for a good deal of my life. Although the intuitive process was there, but unnourished, I didn't pay any attention to it. Let me ask you a question. What is the difference for you between deductive reasoning and intellect and intuition? I think that for me, spur of the moment, deductive reasoning falls into intellect and intuition. How does that feed into intuition or does it? I'm not sure if it does. I'd really have to think about that for a while. Maybe in the process, if I'm really tuned in and there's this deductive reasoning, if, and again, it comes into the awareness and wanting to pay attention and be aware. As going through the process of deductive reasoning, what else is going on in the other koshas? Is my breath changing? Am I having an emotional response to any of those steps? So in there, I would see that there's an intuition through the process of what knowledge am I gaining and how am I going to apply it? Where, where is this going to serve me and or others? But so that's pretty, I asked, completely off the cuff. Well, and I asked because I've been thinking about this lately. I have this very dear friend who said I could say her name. It's Lee. Lee is a psychic medium and she doesn't, she's not, you know, manipulating people. She's not trying to get anything. She just is who she is. And I would venture to say, and she, I would love to have her on. I'd love to talk to her more about it in a different forum, but I don't see intellect coming into it at all. I think it is pure. She actually, she can hear, she, she filters the information through. It downloads to her and it comes out. So I don't know that intellect, she's a, sort of the extreme on that. She was, she didn't really have to, I mean, I guess she did cultivate the skills over time, but it, it asked her to, she didn't seek it out. It was something that came to her. And it's something I've always been fascinated by. And I love uh, stories with her. We used to write down lists of some of her premonitions. And at the end of the month, we would tick them off and see which ones actually were. And nine times out of 10, she was right on the fucking money. For me, and as she and other people have said, your third eye is wide open. Like you have it all. You don't need anyone else to tell you. But I haven't had it call me yet. I haven't felt that same kind of like download. And then I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of, you know, sort of ideas and thoughts and creativity. And maybe that's part of it. And I'm just not recognizing it. But I'm pretty good at deductive reasoning. And the reason I say is that I've been noticing my psychic ability, my intuitiveness, our intuition comes out when I'm watching television programs because I'm really good at that. I can watch a lot of TV. My youngest gets so mad at me because I will call what is about to happen. And nine times out of 10, it is exactly what the character says. And I've never seen it before or it's what they do. And I don't think I'm getting the download. I don't think I'm, I'm psychic that way. I think I've seen enough story structures. I've seen enough television to be able to deduce what's coming next. So my intuition is inextricably connected to my deductive reasoning um, because I can observe the observances. If I can observe body language, if I can understand the natural world around me and in, in enough of the language that I can kind of predict what's going to come. But it's not really a prediction out of nothing. It's out of skillful observation. And that also just came about <laughs> what's that? That also just came up. It was like intuitive presence, like being present. I think opens up our intuitive nature because if we're somewhere else, we're not really present. We're not observing. You mentioned like this in, 
intuitive process and ESP, I think, was something that you said very briefly. Maybe I didn't I use the term, but it's, it's the same. It's psychic abilities. Yeah. Psychic abilities. That's right. Yeah. So I had people when, who I worked with who would tell me that I had ESP. And this is their words, not mine. I would, I didn't think it, I didn't feel it. It wasn't something that I really paid a lot of attention to. But I remember this one story. I worked in a dental office just for a very brief time, maybe six months if I was there that long. So not enough time to really build a lot of relationships and bonds and to really get to know my coworkers in a short period of time. So I'm in this dental office and I said to one of the other assistants, wow, I didn't know Dr. So-and-so's wife was pregnant. And she pulled me aside into the dark room. So that was way back when we didn't have digital x-rays. <laughs> so she pulls me into the dark room and she says, don't say that. And I was like, well, what's the matter? And she goes, they have been trying to have a baby for so long. It is such um, a a sore point for the doctor and his wife. She is not pregnant. They've been trying for years. They've done everything. And so whatever it is, whatever you're thinking, you know, just be cautious about who you're sharing that information with because it is clearly not true. It's like, I just, I don't know where it came from. I just thought that was so. And she's like, yeah, it's not. Well, don't you know the next day the, uh, the wife comes in with the baby? And then she was like, where did that, how did you do that? And they adopted. So the baby was adopted. Now, for me, I would say I'm present. I pay attention. I probably heard something without registering it. You know, when you're walking around an office, maybe I overheard a conversation or someone on the phone, whatever it was. Getting a crib I, or something. Yes. I yeah. rationalized, you know, I used my intelligence. I was like, oh, I must have heard something. And that's why. So, but she was like, there is no way he would have talked about that in the office. <laughs> right. Oh no way. So I don't know, but it happened in three or four other circumstances, similar stories, not something that I've ever looked at. It would be something I would really, really like to do. And it might be one of the, we would talked about meeting, wanting teachers. It might be, that might be my next level is how do you really tap into that intuitive part of you and develop it and really be open there up used to be a podcast. Eye. There used to be a podcast called My Itchy Third Eye. <laughs> that sounds like a good one. It's not on anymore, but it's probably archived. You know, I'm watching, I'm looking at this and earlier on, I said that I could sit on my meditation cushion for 20 minutes without fidgeting and doing all that in the body. And that's absolutely true. Sitting in a tailor-made chair from my dad's old office, which is very uncomfortable. I'm sitting up. I'm not on the floor. On the floor, I can stay forever. But I've been noticing that I'm like constantly up and down, switching which leg is on top because I sit cross-legged in this chair. And it's just a really, you've seen this chair. And I, if I sit in it too long, my sacrum gets a little bit tight. So I'm always moving around. But I thought it's so funny that being on the floor, which is so difficult for a lot of people our age who are not necessarily doing the stretches, that that's much easier for me than sitting in this chair. Yeah, chairs were not made for humans, not for that's nothing. for sure. <laughs> None of them are any good, really. Wisdom would be switch the fucking chair out. Yes, yeah. get a new chair. My husband keeps telling me to get a standing desk. 
I used to put my computer up on things so I could stand. I don't need to get a special desk, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the wisdom of get a new chair, sometimes that wisdom backfires. <laughs> I started teaching at a school in Philadelphia a number of years back, which meant I had to go on the train and get there. And, you know, even though they had books, I like to have my books with me when I'm going to do things. I have little notes and all kinds of things. So I would be carrying my books back and forth. First day of class, I've got a backpack full of books, get on the train, get off the train, walk a couple of blocks, do the whole thing. I'm getting off the train at the end of the day and thinking, boy, I am not used to carrying that weight in a backpack. And I'm thinking about how uncomfortable my back feels. And then this little, little voice inside my head, maybe intuition, maybe wisdom, who knows, starts telling me, you should get one of those rolly suitcases, right? You can bring it on the side. They have them as briefcases. I should go get one. And then my intellectual brain said, do you know how much those things cost? Really, just your body's going to get used to carrying your backpack. And then my intuition was like, you really need to do something, Teresa. And so I had this long conversation with myself that said, if I was my client, I would be saying, spend the money. In the long run, it is worth it. You're going to save your body. You're going to save your back. So I stop at the store on the way home and I buy a briefcase with wheels on it. And I'm so excited. I go home and I move everything out of my backpack, get the thing set. I am so happy that it has those wheels that you can pull on the side and it's not behind you. So there I go. Easy. I wheel it up to the train, one lift and it's on, one lift and it's off. And ah, I am so excited. And there I am, second day on this job, walking to the school in the streets of Philadelphia. I have my briefcase on wheels next to me. And I get to the curb and it's a handicap curb. I go up the curb and the briefcase gets stuck on the curb. I go flying. I use my right arm to stop my fall and I break my wrist arm and my break my radius in two spots. Then went and taught all day before I went home and went to the hospital. But my intuition, everything said, this is a great idea. It's Back? not the idea that 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 got stuck. It was, you know, it was it, my own that clumsiness, moment, right? Just not seeing the curb there, or you know, not bringing it over. I mean, it was a good idea to have. Your intuition was right. It just had a a bummer of an outcome on that, you know. Because you know what, we with all of the preparation, with all of the practice, with all of the the rhetoric and the talk and the all of it, we're still just human beings. Mm-hmm. You know? And it did serve me because, well, I wouldn't have had a broken arm. I was going to say it did serve me because I couldn't put my arm into my backpack anymore. But had I used the backpack, I might not have needed to put my arm in. Right. But you also may have hurt your back in a more debilitating way. I could have. You know, you don't know what that other outcome would be. Like this ill, this challenge, this break could have saved you. It's like when I'm late for something or I've had to turn around. I think, thank you, universe, for saving me from whatever I was going to meet if I'd been on time or if I had gotten what I thought I wanted. That just happened to me. Wisdom. On Sun, wait, on Saturday, I went to something called Soul Sensations. It was a free event at Veterans Park in Bayville, New Jersey. And it was yoga tents and mindfulness tents, a bunch of vendors, all of it. And I, it was really hot on Saturday. It was like well up into the high 90s and humid. And I had gone through all of the, the vendors' tents and I took a couple of classes and I sat through a couple of meditations. 
And I was like, it's time to go. It is really too hot. And I'm walking to leave. And something says, why don't you just do that one more meditation? It's only 15 minutes. Go take that last meditation and head out. So intuition, thoughts, intellect, I don't know. But like you said, I was paused at my exit time for whatever reason. Yeah. And on the way home on the parkway, I saw the, I didn't see the accident. I saw the car that was leaving from the accident on the, on the tow truck. And it was destroyed. Like the, they must've had to like use the jaws of life. Cause there was no front. Uh, there was no windshield. There was nothing. And I thought that very same thing, whoever that angel is, whatever that thought, intuition, interrupter, whatever we want to call it, that kept me off the highway for that extra 15 minutes. I'm truly grateful. Yes. Awesome. So I don't know what that has to do with wisdom, but maybe it was intuition, you know, it was intuition that's, you know, with each one of these coaches has different uh, potential definitions. And so wisdom and intuition kind of all kind of fall in, you know, is our intuition the wisdom of our experience? Is it the wisdom of our observations or is it something more divine that's coming through? Or maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's none of it. You know, these are just conversations that we get to try to figure out. And, you know, earlier when you said about the the different lineages and the different numbers and the different colors, and I do believe that our mind is extremely pliable. And when we decide something is something, then that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So because in the yoga traditions, not the Chinese medicine tradition, that right is more masculine, left is more feminine, you know, right is Surya and, you know, we've got the sun and the moon, we've got everything there. So it's true for us. So when something is on my right side, it's always sort of been the male energy. What is it? What, who, what male is pissing me off? You know, who is it I can turn to? The left side? Sometimes it's, you know, I've got a lot of women in my life and sometimes that goes, I'm like, oh, I just got into it with so-and-so or I need to get into it with so-and-so. I have three daughters. <laughs> so and so or so. our own internal oh, masculine and feminine energy are not in balance. Yes. So I think, you know, going through the coaches, especially in this one, you know, we've talked about plan B's. We've talked about so many different things. And now here we are, the intellect, the intuition, the wisdom. And I think it all played into the decision that you and I have made to kind of make a transition from being behind the mic to being in programs and being in community. Like I said earlier, there's action and inaction. And what are the intended or unintended consequences of acting in one way versus the other? And together, we arrived at the decision in different timelines where we both supported each other in so many <laughs> Amazing ways. Now here I'm speaking for you and you're after the because. Listen, I bet it's true. I mean, some things can be can be predicted like you can say that because it's true. You've heard me say as much. And, you know, I think some things are universal. Yeah, we don't have to take it all on ourselves. Individual collective, you know. Then we put together. You're wearing your old glasses, by the way. I just noticed that. Do you know? Oh, do you know why? Why? Because you told me. That Yardley Eye Care, because that's my 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 eye doctor. Shout out to Yardley Eye Care. That they would put lenses in my old frames, and I love my old frames. And I really, every time I go, I don't really find something that I want. 
So when I was there and I was talking to them, I was like, is it possible for you to put lenses into my old frames? So I have to say, these frames I got on Zenny, another shout out, and they cost me $19. The lenses in the offices are usually pretty pricey. And I don't, I, I have a little bit of a problem with spending more on the thing that I'm going to put the lens in that helps me to see than the lens itself. I think the lens is the important Yeah, I'm part. all about the style because I don't like to shop. I don't buy clothes. What I'm wearing now, this is from when I was pregnant 21 years ago. But because I wear my glasses every day, I like, to, I like them to be beautiful. But yours and are I, beautiful too for 19 bucks. Yeah, I really like these. And when I went and I had spoken to you and then I was talking to them, I was like, can you put them in these? And they could, except, long story, the woman who does that wasn't going to be there. So they gave me a loaner pair. Mm -hmm. Until she got back, so she could cut the lenses for it. So nice. In the interim, what did you do with I, your new your new frames? Though are so beautiful too. They were not mine. They were the loner pair that they gave me. They put oh. them into the loner pair, and then I, I gave them back because I didn't want two different two different. I didn't want to pay for two pairs of glasses. Really, if I'm going to pay for a second, it's going to be sunglasses, not uh, right. a second pair of fashion glasses. But I love these, and they were still in good shape. Except I couldn't see out of them anymore. So. They changed the lens. Nice. There is my wisdom of listening and then hearing what you said and asking all the right questions because I get to keep these glasses for just you a little bit You would be wise longer. to always listen to me, Lady Teresa. You would always be. I'm doing the, uh, what is it, Mr. Burns hands, Mr. Burns. Yes. But right, together, then. you know, we've, we had a vision. We played with the vision. The vision has grown and changed and we've added and we've subtracted different things. So basically our wisdom is informing us to move forward. It's saying that to, to continue the way we've been doing it could be fun, but it's not going to give us ultimately what it is that we want to do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We still have a couple. We have, oh, this is 87. We've got one more then. So stick with us. We love you. We appreciate you. Until next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.